Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. LMFM Podcasts with CNC Carpets. We bring the showroom to you. Or you can book a personal consultation at our fabulous new showroom in Moortown, Dramiskin. Call 87 237 or visit our website at cnccarpets.com to book an appointment. CNC Carpets for all your carpet and wood flooring needs. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Thursday morning, the 25th of August. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. The school bus is to be free of charge to children this year. The charge for the ticket worth around €500 Euro is being waived as part of the government's measures to help parents cope with the cost of living. The measure, it seems, has backfired, however. Call it unintended consequence or call it an almighty mess but 44,300 applicants are first time applicants. Everyone wants a ticket for their child and there's been a record 130,000 applications this year. A lottery scheme for allocating seats means thousands of kids have been told there's no room on the bus for them and it appears they will be left stranded. Darren O'Rourke is Sinn Féin's spokesperson on transport at ED for me least and on the line and a very good morning to you and I think like politicians across the country you're hearing from the straw parents and you're estimating that 10,000 additional places are necessary to cope with the demand. Yeah I think so Michael and, and thanks for the opportunity to raise this because it is it, it is literally dealing with the straw parents um, and, uh, you know, this happens on, on a yearly basis, um, uh, but this year it's, it's very different and it's far more acute uh, than, than, than it is. And, and there are particular features uh, related to the fact that the fees were made free and um, the government's handling of that. I think it's a, it's a good idea, just dreadfully implemented, and it has a consequence um, as you say, of, you know, there's this arbitrary criteria of eligible versus concessionary. And very many children avail of the school bus scheme on a yearly basis, uh, pay for it, need it, use it uh, um, diligently on a concessionary basis. And um, this year, because of the 
free fees because of the decision to reopen the window for applications and not treat late applications as late applications as they would in other years. What has happened is there has been a, a huge influx of children who would be deemed eligible and they are pushing out children who may have used the scheme mm. for, for years but on a concessionary basis. So what has uh, in effect hap- has happened is that there has been a significant, very significant reduction in the concessionary seats available on buses and that has had a, a massive impact. And, 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 and to use your words, Parents are absolutely distraught. I, you know, I know in my office, I know for Johnny Gork, I know in our, our council colleagues, and I'm sure right across the country, we've had parents, you know, in tears in the offices, on the phones, um, because because this has a real implication. People are stressed. They're under pressure to make ends meet from one end of the week to the next. And a key component for them in making everything work in their household is. Uh, having the, their, their children on the school bus because that means they can make it to work on time. You, you, you've seen it in the Mead Chronicle mm. uh, constituent I'm dealing with, literally making the point. The headline is, I may have to give up work if I can't get a get a, get a, a place on the bus for, for, for my son. And that is replicated right across the country uh, this week and last week because the news is coming through. People who automatically assumed last year, the year before, the mm, year before. It's never been a bother. We yeah. secured a mm, seat yeah. this year, uh, I regret to inform you. And people, you know, uh, don't know where to turn in relation to it. Um, I, I have to say another consequence which, which I've been contacted about is because people are applying uh, for, the, for, the scre- for the free scheme, um, some of them are moving from... Uh, private private operators, so so private operators mm. who have operated their own scheme. So so private some private operators are coming to me and saying uh, a, a route that I've built up for over decades now is not viable. So there there are unintended con- consequences, and I think it is a matter of as I said a good idea, but just dreadfully implemented a failure to plan, a failure to prepare. And now I would call on on it, it's really. You know, it's really on, on Minister Foley's desk that this needs to be addressed. But Aaron, they're in a difficult position. They operate a scheme that, uh, to the letter that they have, have, have no discretion on. I, I would criticise them for, you know, failing to answer the phone and for, their, for mm. their portal systems crashing. But really, it's Minister Foley who needs to instruct them to provide additional places. How can they? I mean, is it possible to solve this, uh, given the short time frame uh, that's at play? Uh, can you make 10,000 school bus seats available in the next week? So I, I think it, it does, and, and I'm not sure it can be done in the next week. And uh, as, as things stand... I think it's it's fair to say that even for, for some people who are actually eligible for the scheme, um, they won't be accommodated in the next week because bus Aaron are scrambling to find buses and bus drivers. And I think there does need to be an element of flexibility introduced. They have some particular criteria themselves in terms of licenses, in terms of age of drivers that are, are quite arbitrary. You know, you can be a, um, a bus driver beyond 70 but you can't be a school bus driver beyond 70 so you can you know you can't drive the kids to school 
but you can pick them up a half an hour later and and drive them to to the the hurling match or the football match or or, or activity. So that, so so I think everything needs to be on the table here in terms of of finding additional capacity. I also well, think what's that played there? That's a question for insurance companies, is it? Well, no, it's actually a matter for 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 Basair, and they have a they have a um, an, an arbitrary. That's their um, policy. It's not exactly yeah an arbitrary policy. So 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 that you know they 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 may need to review that and 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 maybe it mightn't come to that, but it might provide some additional capacity even in the, okay. in the short term. So if you could get the drivers, could you get the buses? Yeah, the other thing I think which is important, and I go back to that point in terms of the uninti- unintended consequence of some private buses mm. now being being uh, being half full or not not mm. as full as they were. I think you know there's an an opportunity here there, because bear in mind, Michael, when if and I expect they will be if fees are reintroduced next year. Um, you know, you, you might have a scenario where some of that private capacity that was there and has been used for years isn't there in the future. So, so I think it's important that Bosair and, and the department in particular look at this as, right, we're in this mess, but how do we get ourselves out of it? And what is the yeah. opportunity? And, and the opportunity in it for me, as I would see it, and I would advise the department in relation to this, is that they now have an increased number of eligible children using the school bus transport system. They have a huge number of concessionary children um, who are going to be excluded. And I think if they could match the private providers with the with concessionary, the, with the concessionary then yeah. you have a scenario where okay. the, 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 so it's more evenly matched. We've never, se- a- we've never seen anything uh, on this scale before. 130,000 applicants, it's the highest number ever. Uh, and of the 130,000, 44,300 are first-time applicants. But we do see problems, as you said earlier, every year, and we see quite a, a lot of problems, perhaps not on this scale. Uh, but every year it seems impossible that children won't get to school because the problems are, are so great. But every year those problems are overcome somehow. They are, and, and, and in different ways. So sometimes, and these are the conversations I and other representatives have been having um, with, with constituents for, for the last fortnight, in some scenarios, uh, additional places will become available on the the, the bus, um, and you will get lucky. In some scenarios, bus errand have wrongly categorised your child, and you are eligible for the scheme, where they have you down as concessionary, so the, they will have to find a place for you. In some scenarios, um, private bus operators might be in a position to help, and others you might be able to avail of uh, a scheduled service for bus errand or local link. Uh, and in some scenarios parents will come together and organize carpooling so it's so so it, it like the best can the best scenario for people is that they're eligible for the scheme and they get a place on the scheme and that's what what the scheme is supposed to be there for and and I think mm. you know and the free ticket this year was meant to help those uh, who find it hardest to cope to cope a, a little easier uh, or to make it easier for them to cope but they're the people because they would have been entitled to concessionary tickets if they're being told this year uh, that there is no place uh, that things just got a whole lot worse than they would have been if the tickets weren't free oh, no, Absolutely, absolutely and, and I think there does need to be, you know prioritising within priorities I, I do think um, to deal with, with, with this particular challenge at this point in time, there needs to be some acknowledgement of people who put their hand up 
before the 29th of April who wanted to use this scheme um, before it was free, mm. um, who, who are eager to use it, who have used it on a previous basis as well. So I think there needs to be priorities within priorities. And then after the department do everything they can to find additional capacity mm. that uh, that those who 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 remain um look to the the, the possibility of, okay. of private providers and, and and i think for this year that those who do go to to private pro- providers should be supported to do that, that the, uh, financially the, the, the state should be paying for those tickets got that uh, loud and clear. There's obviously a, a problem. I don't think you're the only one who's articulating this as a, a massive problem. I think TDs around the country are being inundated with complaints from parents who are at the end of their tether. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, though. I, I, I don't think I've uh, seen any statements uh, on the part of the government, on the part of the minister or on the part of the department in relation to this. No, and and, and I think, and even... You know, I was listening to some of the radio coverage over over recent days and uh, local media coverage, and there are very many statements from Bus Aaron in relation to this. And as I said earlier on, you know, there can be criticisms of Bus Aaron in terms of, you know, they're they're overwhelmed, they're struggling to cope, um, their their systems, whether they be telephone systems or, or online systems, are struggling to cope. But essentially, they are operating a scheme that they have no flexibility on. And it's for the minister and for the department to ensure that flexibility. So that's where the decision needs to be, to, to be made. And, and that's anyone that has been contacting me. We've been liaising with Bus Aaron. But the vast majority of people who are dealing with, it is just to explain to them the criteria on which they are being excluded from the scheme. There's no positive outcome in relation to very many of the cases that we're dealing with. What what we need to hear um, from is is the department and the minister to say that additional capacity will be added, that there will be additional discretion on behalf of, of uh, uh, Bus Air and also that private providers uh, will be brought into the fold and, and, and support it um, to ensure that the, the the fullest of capacity is, is made available on what is a, an unprecedented year. Okay. Uh, Darren O'Rourke, you're Sinn Féin spokesperson on transport. I'm sure you'll be hoping uh, to get some of those questions answered sooner rather than later. You're also Sinn Féin's spokesperson on uh, climate. Uh, and the doll won't be sitting for three weeks from now, but you and members of uh, the Climate Committee will be back at work next Tuesday uh, to discuss if the country will be able to keep the lights on over the winter. You're to meet with uh, the Commission for Regulation of Utilities, Airgrid, and Minister Eamon Ryan. Eamon Ryan said yesterday he doesn't believe uh, that there's going to be a problem. The Taoiseach said recently that he was very surprised to learn about how high the demand is on the grid. Uh, And before I ask you about what you hope to achieve in the committee hearings next week, perhaps we can listen to a former Minister for Energy, Dennis Nocton, when he spoke to us on the programme yesterday. And I asked him if, like the Taoiseach, he was surprised to learn about such a high demand. No, I'm not surprised, but I am very surprised to hear some of the commentary that I'm hearing from some of our senior politicians in this country uh, at the moment. And I made the the Cabinet aware uh, of these issues as far back as 2017 uh, in terms of the number of of data centres that we were allowing onto the grid uh, at the time. Uh, And uh, in fairness, the uh, you know, the people that were managing the grid, air grid and that would have flagged that up 
not just to uh, me as Energy Minister, uh, but to many of the other relevant uh, government agencies, such as the IDA uh, and so forth at the time. Uh, and they have highlighted this consistently since that. OK, that's Dennis Nocton. If you listen to the former Minister for Energy there, Darren O'Rourke, it seems as though there wasn't any surprise in government or there shouldn't be any surprise in government or if there is a surprise in government, well then, people weren't listening. I think that's exactly the case, and I did hear Dennis Nocton, and I respect him as a as a colleague and, and former minister, um, and he was very clear. And I, and I do believe that the current minister is very clear on this, and I think the former minister in, in Richard Bruton should be very clear as well in relation to the constraints on the, the system. But what, what they have done is they've implemented a policy that... Uh, an enterprise policy that has increased in a runaway uh, sort of way the the demand on the system through the unfettered rollout of of data centres and they have failed to deliver on the supply side. So we've had a number of occasions now where where the CRU and Airgrid and CRU and others have failed to deliver new generation capacity, they've failed to deliver renewables, um, and but particularly in terms of new power plants, they're uh, on a number of occasions now committed capacity, uh, electricity generation capacity in the form of gas power plants have been uh, in the pipeline and then failed to be delivered to a point that just before just before the doll rose, emergency legislation uh, was rushed through at the 11th hour, literally to rewrite the rule book about how this state and the air grid in particular procures emergency backup generation. So there is a real risk. And, and, and you know, the minister came out yesterday to, and said that, uh, to assure people that the, the lights wouldn't go out. But we're having system alerts, amber alerts, in the middle of summer, when demand is the, the lowest as it is uh, uh, during the year. Um, we also got no assurance, and we want to hear from the Minister next Tuesday in relation to this, around what additional um, supply is going to come on stream at, uh, over the winter period. Because we know, based on what we've heard from him so far, that there are plans to bring additional generation capacity, electricity generation capacity on stream in the next 18 months, in the next couple of years, before 2030. But really, it's this winter that the concern is about. OK. Uh, just before you conclude, uh, when the doll resumes in three weeks, uh, will there be questions for Leo Radker and Michal Martin about Robert Troy? Oh, I, I think there definitely will. And I, I think it, it'll happen, Michael, before the doll uh, resumes. Um, you know, I, I think that that whole situation, there was a, a degree of inevitability about what happened last night when you, you know, got the, the you know, there were properties that hadn't been registered. There are properties without fire certificates, RAS arrangements that hadn't been declared. And both the Taoiseach and Taunishta, uh give their full support to, to this minister. I think it's, it is, you know, reflects very poorly on their judgment. It comes as no surprise to me, a government that is uh, uh, hanging on by the skin of its teeth and, and desperate to do so. All right, we'll leave it there for the moment. Thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. Sinn Féin TD for me, these Darren O'Rourke. 
Now, church leaders on the island of Ireland say they're deeply concerned regarding the government response in both jurisdictions when it comes uh, to the cost of living crisis and they're calling for action from governments on both sides of the border to help people cope. The church leaders is comprised of the Roman Catholic and Church of Ireland primates of all Ireland. The moderate moderator of the General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church in Ireland, the President of the Methodist Church in Ireland and the President of the Irish Council of Churches. Let's speak now to the Right Reverend Andrew Foster who's President of the Irish Council of Churches and Bishop of Derry and Raffoe. And a very good morning to you, Reverend, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the programme this morning. Uh, You're concerned by the reality of life for many people and what you're seeing on the ground and how uh, people who are already vulnerable and in poverty are becoming all the more impoverished, I think. That's right. Thank you very much for having me on your show this morning. And I'm sure a lot of those people listening this morning will be feeling concerned themselves. We've all seen prices rise. We're nearly into double-digit figures now in inflation. And all, unfortunately, all the projections seem to be saying that things are going to get worse, that more people will fall into both food poverty and fuel poverty. And obviously, as a church, as churches, uh, you know, as followers of Jesus Christ, this is massively concerning for us. And uh, we want to use whatever influence we can to encourage governments, to encourage communities, to encourage neighbourhoods, churches, uh, to do all that they can to sort of redouble efforts to help those who are most vulnerable at the moment. You say you're concerned about uh, the response thus far. Uh, Has the government been too slow to act? Uh, They've asked us to be patient because, uh, as you say, all the indications are is that it's going to get worse when we go into the winter and they're hoping to help people through the budget which will be announced in about a month's time. Yeah, and listen, you know, I absolutely realise that the government has tried to address this. You know, earlier on in the year, the government uh, gave $300 million, uh, to help with fuel costs. Um, but at that time, um, early in the year, there, there definitely was a feeling that this was, uh, that more would be needed. And things have unfortunately escalated. The situation's got a lot worse. And yes, there's a budget coming, but people are struggling to put food on their tables right now. Um, We're moving into the winter. They'll be struggling to heat their homes and so on. So this is an immediate issue, an immediate problem um, that that we need to look at. You know, I I, I, um, heard two incredible stories, terrible stories recently from a a local food bank. Um, One was of of a young mother who came into the food bank asking for food for her family and asking for food that didn't need to be heated up because she could not afford the electricity to turn on her cooker. The second one was of a lady who was a habitual giver to the food bank. You know when you go into a a supermarket and there might be a basket from St. Vincent de Paul or, or the local food bank and she always gave to it. Now she's having to go to the food bank to get help. So this is an immediate crisis um, and, and people are feeling it right now. And what 
what worries me, what worries us as church leaders, what worries a lot of people in society now is that this this isn't about a small fringe in society anymore. This this is a, a bigger and bigger margin of people who are falling into real and immediate problems. What happened when um, two years ago with the pandemic? Um, we had governments who you know did what they could, and there was a lot of financial support came into place um, with uh, people you know to help them with their loss of income and so on. And money was found then. And this is a cost of living pandemic. This mm. is a, this is really serious, and, and I think money needs to be found by the government now, and also for all of us to be community-minded, to be neighbourhood-minded, to look out for those who are vulnerable, to try and do what we can to help as well. Yeah, you used a, an interesting turn of uh, phrase uh, there. Uh, you said uh, governments did what they could, uh, but uh, we're in one of the richest countries in the world, and uh, I take it your statement reflects a view that this is a question of political choices and that you can choose to help the most vulnerable or not that the means are there if politicians choose to uh, apply them in a way that will help people? I, I think that's a really strong point that you're making. And, and you know, I, I don't want to live in a society that makes poverty the norm. I don't want to live in a society where those who are most vulnerable feel more and more vulnerable. We live in a country that does have resources. Now, everybody's feeling the pinch, but we live in a country that can respond to need. We've done it in the past, and we need to do it right now because the need is really great right now. And we're coming into the winter. Another story from last year. Now, last year, fuel costs weren't as bad as they are now. Um, fuel costs have gone up. But last year, I spoke to a family who were all sleeping in one room because they couldn't afford to heat their house. They were all sleeping in one room. And that was last year. It's going to be worse this year. There are choices to make. Mm. And, you know, what we're calling on is, is both government and society and churches, all of us, to, to redouble our efforts. And, you know, if you think back to the start of the pandemic, mm. you had government stepping up, you had communities stepping up, you had neighbourhoods stepping up to, to help everyone. I think we need to we need to capture that again. Okay. Because, let, yeah. let, let, let me um, ask you a, a political question, if I can, yeah. or a question from a, a political perspective or political ethos, if you like, uh, because you say there are choices to be made, uh, but there is this argument that some of those choices are unpalatable. And whilst uh, there may be people sleeping in one room. Uh, they may not be able to turn the lights or the heat on and find it diff- difficult uh, to cover the cost of food uh, and so on. Uh, there are people who are out working uh, and working very hard for a, a living and we're all feeling the pinch. Uh, and these same people are paying their taxes and they're paying more taxes and they're paying too much tax. Uh, and should they have to go without the things in life that they've been accustomed to in order to fund this crisis, if you like? Well, what, what uh, you know, the, the current crisis that we're facing isn't just about people who aren't working. Please remember that. You know, we're talking about people who are working, who are paying taxes, who are struggling to make ends meet. So this this is this is affecting everybody. You know, and and there are people who you know in Saudi who maybe it's not going to affect as much, or they'll be able to ride the storm. But there are people who in the past have coped 
who are now really, really struggling to cope. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for me, it, it, it actually, you know, it's a measure of our society. It's a measure of civilised society, if you like, of how we care for those who are uh, most vulnerable. And, you know, I think we need to ask ourselves, what sort of society do we want to be living in? Or do we want to live in a society that that reaches out to help those who are vulnerable? We are living in, you know, it's sort of an unprecedented time. I, I grew up in the, in the 70s and early 80s, and I remember it was tough then. You know, mm. I remember, you know, my parents having to make difficult decisions about things, but, but this seems this seems to be completely different. This seems to be far, far uh, more extreme. Than, really? You think uh, it's more extreme? That's, that's what you're saying. You're saying harder I, cases, I, I, yeah. Absolutely. Harder yeah. cases all the time. And, and you know, poverty in one way nowadays is almost a hidden thing. You know, in the past, it was visible. It was more visible, whereas now it's behind closed doors. And we, we, it's not in your face as much. Whereas behind closed doors, and I'm sure a lot of our, the people yeah. listening to your show can identify with this, behind closed doors, they are struggling. I, I, I live in Derry, and some of our parishes here have been, over the last couple of weeks, running um, school uniform banks because people couldn't afford to buy their school uniforms for kids, and they were asking you know, to bring in old uniforms to give them out again, and that, that's worked, and I'm really glad mm. that that's happened. So, um, some, some of that is complete nonsense, of course, Bishop, uh, when you see some of the supermarkets selling school uniforms uh, that would be perfectly fine for primary school children for €7, Euro, uh, but the schools yeah. insist on crested uniforms and so forth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, and I, I think we need to really examine some of those uh, issues at the moment. I mm. think you're dead right. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, uh, true as night follows day, I, I think uh, after a prolonged uh, period of increased inflation, you head into recession and that now seems inevitable. And with recession comes even darker days and job losses uh, and more people in the situation. Uh, uh, your, your message to the government before the 27th of September, I, I take it, is to consider those uh, who just won't be able to uh, afford some of the most fundamental things in life. And that is the role of government. The role of government is to care for those who are most vulnerable. And and I would be calling on our political leaders really at this time. You know, that we're, we're moving into an unprecedented time and I, I, I think we're calling on our political leaders to take unprecedented action as well okay. uh, to help us through this. Things will change again. Things will pick up again. Yeah. But at the moment, circumstances are, are that extreme. Okay. Bishop Andrew, thank you indeed uh, for taking the time to speak to us uh, this morning. Much appreciated. So that's the Right Reverend Andrew Forster, President of uh, the Irish Council of Churches and uh, the Bishop of Derry and Raffoe. Michael Reed on LMFM. Thanks uh, to uh, the listener emailing uh, the programme uh, today saying, Dear Michael, I'm sure you know that the circus is coming to town. I'm sure everyone in Drogheda knows it is, given how a commercial circus has plastered the town advertising this event. To be honest, I wondered if uh, there was an election coming up when I woke up uh, this morning to see all of uh, the posters on lampposts. They are everywhere. How is this allowed? Politicians are, are fine if uh, their posters are left hanging on lampposts outside of a 
specified time frame. And correct me if I'm wrong, but as far as I know, it is only politicians who can erect posters on lampposts and only during an election campaign. Outside of the campaign, it is considered to be littering and subject to prosecution under the Litter Act. In other words, it is illegal. It is illegal for any business to use lampposts as a free method of advertising. I think it's true to say Louth County Council wouldn't tolerate it if a local chipper or a supermarket or the hairdresser posted advertising hoarding all over the town without permission and free of charge, nor should they. So why is a circus any different? Can you please ask the council if it will for once clamp down on this circus littering the town? If not, will you please ask the council if the same rules apply to all and sundry and that it will not act on any of us in business if we decide to use Drogheda's lampposts to advertise our wares? Please withhold my name. Well, we've uh, passed that email on to Louth County Council and we hope to have a response for you this morning. Meanwhile, Sarah has been in touch about school buses and she says making school transport free is a great idea. It'll go a long way towards easing the financial burden on parents, but Sarah believes that priority should be given to students who have been using school buses for years rather than letting it be free for all, uh, which could see kids who have busted in the past now getting uh, or not getting a, a seat on the bus. It needs to be managed properly. Charlie, one of many people in touch with us already today about Robert Troy saying it's about time he did the right thing and stepped down. He was creating an ever-increasing nightmare scenario for the coalition and there was no way that he could stay on as minister. There are still questions to be asked and Troy should still make a statement in the Doyle and face a grilling from the opposition. The public have the right to answers, Charlie says. Anne, thank you as well for your call to the programme. Anne says she's sick of people suggesting that Robert Troy did the honourable thing by resigning. She says he only resigned because he, he was backed into a corner and because he was causing the coalition huge embarrassment uh, among the public. Uh, the honourable thing to do would have been to declare all his assets in the first place. Thanks, Anne, for that. Uh, he says uh, he did so uh, on his own counsel. I imagine uh, the intervention of Eamon Ryan probably had something to do with it, uh, but we'll be talking about that in some detail in a few minutes. Uh, Tony, again, calling us about Robert Troy says the writing uh, had been on the wall for days. There was no way he could continue in his role as a junior minister given the level of public outcry over his behaviour. It, it was not a smart move on the part of the Taoiseach and the Taoiseach to be so enthusiastic in their defence of him. People will not forget that they spoke up on his behalf uh, and that... Uh, Tony feels uh, that uh, the information wasn't sufficient that was uh, being offered. Uh, it was misleading, he says. He, he was just another thorn in the side of the coalition and had to be removed as quickly as possible. Thanks, Tony. Thanks to Billy, too, who says he wants to know what a TD or minister has to actually do in order to get sacked in this country. He, he says Troy is just the latest in a long line of public reps who have brought shame and disgrace on the public office they held uh, and the party which they were a member of with their actions. Yet, rather than show leadership and make an example of him, the Taoiseach allowed him to slink away quietly from ministerial life and live quietly in the shadows of the backbenches. It makes Billy wonder what is a sackable offence in Irish politics. Good question, Billy. One I can't answer. I'm not sure if any of our listeners can, but 
I'm sure they'll let us know if they have an answer for you. Uh, and indeed, we'd love to hear from anybody if you haven't been in touch with us so far today. As I say, we'd be delighted to get your call or your text for that matter. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. Indeed, uh, the aforementioned Robert Troy, former Minister of State, is front page news today. The Irish Sun's front page. The fall of Troy. Rob resigns in 11 houses. Row government rocked as Minister falls on his sword. Let's speak to the political correspondent for the Irish Sun, Adam Higgins, who's on the line. A very good morning to you, Adam, uh, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme. Uh, this morning. This has gone on for two weeks. It seemed as though it might have gone on forever until Eamon Ryan's intervention yesterday. Yes, that seemed to be the big turning point yesterday when Eamon Ryan went on the radio and said that he wanted not one but two investigations into Robert Troy's property uh, issues. He said he wanted SIPO to take a look at it and he also wanted a Dáil committee to take a look at it. Now that is a stark difference to where the other coalition leaders had fallen on this with Michal Martin and Leo Varadkar both staunchly defending Robert Troy in recent days and up until last night even after the resignation, two statements from the Taoiseach and the Tana to both uh, commending Robert Troy for his great work as a minister and saying that he was um, a really proactive and great member of the government but obviously the Green Party did not think so or did not think that um, this property issue could continue. Right, and uh, attention will turn on the two party leaders now undoubtedly it already has uh, I think with a statement from the Sinn Féin leader. Yes, Mary Lou McDonald immediately last night, and I think this kind of shows you how quickly this statement, uh, this uh, this controversy unfolded. This was Mary Lou McDonald's first statement on the issue, mm-hmm. first, her first comment at all on Robert Troy, and she said last night after his resignation that it caused him to question the judgment of the political leaders in uh, Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, and then turning the gun uh, on the government's housing policy saying that uh, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael have successfully or, or successively um, let the private sector try to fix situations that the government should have. Yeah, well, it, it doesn't look good for a government that's presiding over a housing crisis when one of its own senior members is a serious uh, property owner, ser- serious player in, in uh, the property market and is buying properties and flipping them at a, a great profit. Yes, exactly. And I think from um, Robert Troy's statement last night, one bit that really jumps out at me is this line here that he says, I personally will not apologise for being a landlord. I bought my first house at the age of 20 as I went straight into a job after school, so I was in a position to purchase my first property then. I mean, that seems like a really tone-deaf thing to say on the way out Mm. to a country where, I mean, you could leave school now and work for 20 years and probably still wouldn't be able to afford a house and to... For that to be your parting shot seems like a really poor decision from Robert Troy. Right. So he's been a landlord for 20 or 30 years. He has 11 properties. He is, uh, by anyone's definition, a professional landlord. There is not a professional landlord in the country who doesn't know you have to register a property that you're renting out with the RTB, the Residential Tenancies Board, and that it is a criminal offence not to do that. And you could be fined up to €4,000 or face up to six months in prison for not doing it. 
Yes, and Minister Troy did address that earlier in the week when he was asked about there was one property of his that wasn't uh, properly registered with the OTB, and he said that he was this property was being let out by another leasing company in Dublin, and that company had told him they would look after the uh, RTB registration, and this never happened. That has since been rectified. So he kind of passed the blame a little bit on that one, but that wasn't the only issue. There was also, I think the real issue here is that mm. a lot of these properties are three properties uh, where not properly registered with the dolls uh, members interest register and that register is really there to kind of tell the public what skin each TD has in the game before they start looking at their comments and if some of those properties weren't properly registered it does raise questions about uh, Robert Troy and he said that this was just an honest mistake that he didn't fill out the forms properly and I think that is a, a really difficult and a problematic decision or, or mistake for a minister to make, especially the minister whose title is Minister of State for Trade Regulation. Yeah, before you go into the doll and ask, how can you get more money off for the council in rent? Can we increase uh, some of uh, the schemes uh, that uh, are, are paid to, to landlords? Or, or how can you com- uh, evict somebody from a, a property uh, under the existing rules? Or can the rules be changed to make it easier to evict somebody that you don't want there anymore? Yes, and I think that's something that we've seen over the past few days in the papers is that people are raking over Robert Troy's old uh, contributions to the doll and seeing, you know, with this coloured uh, light of him being a landlord, what were these uh, contributions like? And I think one of the questions that Minister Troy really needs to look at here is he said that he was always, you know, upfront and he's an open book and all this sort of thing. But really, when you're going into the doll and you're asking about the RAS scheme and you're saying and you're raising questions about it, you should really preface that um, contribution to the doll by saying, I have a property that's, that I'm being paid for the RAS scheme for. And I think, therefore, and I think that's where it, TDs need to make this distinction here because otherwise it does look like you're trying to hide it. Now the minister said he's not trying to conceal anything here and he said it was a large part of it. That that contribution in particular on the RAS scheme was part of a a bigger contribution he made on the housing uh, problems. But I think our TDs do need to be a bit more upfront when they're speaking in the doll about what personal experience they have about the issues they're speaking about. All right. It seems as though residents in Dublin in... It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. 
real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Uh, uh, an area of uh, the city, he was renting a, a property out. Uh, we're also very concerned uh, that uh, the wall of the property was on the verge of falling down. There was lots of black bags of rubbish thrown on the street. They said that they could see rats running in and out of them uh, during COVID times uh, and their complaints went unheard, uh, according to Jennifer Bray in the Irish Times today, and uh, they threatened to go to the council and to the media about it at the time. Mm, That's a story from the Irish Times today that I think the Minister would have known about this story last night. Um, These kind of this drip feed of information that we've had over the past 10 days really has not done Robert Trey any favours. This first all started with an article in a website called The Ditch when they first uh, highlighted that one of Minister Troy's properties wasn't registered on the Dáil Register. And from there, it's just kind of snowballed with this really quick uh, drip feed of information across all the, the papers with different stories coming out all over the place and Minister Troy trying to fight fires all week and I think last night something changed that he was like okay it's time mm. for me to go Yeah and <laughs> talk about fighting fires uh, building uh, the uh, fire exit uh, without planning permission uh, and indeed no fire certificate on that building uh, according to the ditch uh, he, he explained that as well but his explanations fell on uh, deaf ears when it came to Eamon Ryan quite obviously do you think uh, that he was in fact put although he says he decided to to resign on his own counsel. I don't think so. No, the, the soundings I'm hearing from senior members of government is that Minister Troy decided it was time for himself to go uh, during all this because of the distraction it was making uh, for the government. Now, as I've mentioned earlier on, um, the Taoiseach and the Tarnished have both staunchly stood by Minister Troy. The Green Party, not so happy. But I think if you really look into what Eamon Ryan was asking yesterday, he was asking for the committee, the Dáil Committee on Privileges to look into this. Now, what that really means is it's not the same. That committee has not got the same powers as other Dáil Committees that we'd be used to. It doesn't do what, say, for example, PAC does, where it can bring Minister Troy in and everybody can watch online as the TDs kind of put Robert Troy over the coals and ask him all these questions. Instead, it would just be weeks of uh, letters and emails between the chair and Robert Troy to try and figure out what information, and then at the end, they would make a verdict. So it's it's kind of, that would have really extended things a long time. If Eamon Ryan really wanted uh, Minister Troy to go last night, I think he would have suggested something stronger. Now, by what means, I don't know, but asking for SIPO to investigate and for the party or the the Oireachtas Committee on Dáil Privileges to investigate. It kinda, it's kind of the easiest way to be hard on Robert Troy. Right. And does his resignation draw a line under it now? I don't think so, no. I think the opposition parties will still want to see evidence that um, Robert Troy's, all of his properties are uh, registered with the RTB. They'll want to see proof that that fire cert issue you mentioned earlier on has been put to bed. They'll want to see evidence that he's fully tax compliant on all his properties, including that one he mentioned that he got cash payments for from one of his tenants. I think they will want to see all that evidence because this still is a government TD at the end of the day. And I think his resignation as minister doesn't really put this whole issue to bed. It does maybe bring it down a few uh, rungs of the ladder when it comes to the the interest that the public will have in it, because mm. this will in, in the public side so this may be you know drawing a line under as he's gone. But he's still at the end of the day government TD, and I think the opposition are likely to continue to carry this torch for another few weeks longer. Okay, and there is this criticism then of uh, the two party leaders, Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, Michal Martin and Leo Radker. What uh, about? 
criticism of those two politicians from within their own parties. Yes, there will be criticism around the judgment of how this was handled. Um, definitely from the opposition, we've already seen Mary Lou McDonald uh, criticising the two leaders for their judgment and their handling of this. From within their parties, I don't know whether there's been much, um, say, criticism, especially of Leo Varadkar on this, but with Fianna Fáil, it's already a difficult position for Michal Martin because we know that some in the backbench want him to go when it comes to Christmas and some uh, are staunchly behind him. So I think it's a difficult position for his leadership already whether this makes much of a difference I don't really think so Okay Adam we'll leave there for the moment and thank you indeed for joining us on uh, the programme this morning Adam Higgins is uh, the political correspondent for the Irish Sun now thanks to Paddy Duffy as well Paddy's gone mad on the phone this morning texting us he he says uh, a number of texts he says I I think it's obvious that the government has outstayed its welcome we badly need new blood and thinking and we need it urgently he says he's confident in thinking that Robert Troy made sure no mistakes were made when he was filling out forms in relation to to the HAP scheme uh, so that he'd be paid or any other schemes that would bring him uh, more money. He wonders what everyone thinks and he also says uh, that Fine Gael's greatest achievement after 11 years in government is that they have created a new social class, the working poor, and have made a a, a total mess of the country. Just imagine what could be achieved with another 11 years in government. Well done. You really should be proud of yourselves. Says Paddy, thank you indeed uh, as always uh, for your messages. Much appreciated. Jack in touch with us uh, about that email earlier with the circus uh, posters all over Drogheda. He says, Mike, people have little to be giving out about circuses. They're only trying to make a living. It's a tough business. Don't see anyone taking down the Stop Extradite Liam Campbell posters. Uh, An interesting point, Jack. But is it a free-for-all? And uh, as our emailer said, should the local chipper or supermarket be able to put posters advertising, free advertising, uh, all across the town? Uh, There are many ways, legitimate ways of advertising, and it makes an ass of the law, does it not, uh, if it is an offence under the Litter Act and allegedly illegal. Uh, Somebody else in touch with us saying, I'm 70 years of age and I put in for the OAP housing grant. That was in January. Uh, I wanted to get new windows in because in the winter it's very cold in my house and I I was only told this week there's no money left for the grants. Can you find out why after eight months waiting uh, I'm only being told this now? The grants are finished for this year. Uh, Please try to find out. Uh, We'll ask the council uh, about that but I, I, I hate to tell you we hear similar stories every single year. Uh, and uh, I don't know um, why it, it takes eight months to tell you that you uh, haven't uh, qualified, uh, that somebody uh, was there before you. And that's what it comes down to. Uh, there's so much money in the pot. And when it's all gone, then I think, and that's probably the reason when it's all gone, um, they go through the list. And when it's all gone, then they notify people you haven't been successful this year. We'll, we'll ask the council for a, a statement on that for you. Uh, Pat Cusick uh, in Carrick Macross says there should be free transport to school for everyone in this country. 
Uh, he says uh, there'd be less cars on the road, less fuel being burnt, and uh, it would ensure the constitutional right that everyone has a right to a, an education. There should be no exclusion, but the choice to travel on free transport to school, says Pat. Thank you indeed uh, for that uh, as well, Pat. Uh, and thank you indeed to everybody who's been in touch with us so far today. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now, Yapstone seems uh, determined uh, by all accounts uh, to close up shop in Drogheda. Let's hear from Labour Party TD for Louth and East Meath. Jed Nash is on the line. Very good morning to you, Jed. Thanks uh, indeed uh, for joining us. 71 people employed in Drogheda, I think. Yeah, uh, 70, 71 exactly. And went from a from, uh, small number of three uh, just 10 years ago when the organisation established in the uh, Mill uh, Enterprise Centre on the north side of Drogheda and expanded quite rapidly over the last few years. And to say that staff, Michael, are shocked uh, at this announcement uh, is an understatement. It really was a classic bolt from the blue, considering that I, I looked at the statement made by a man called Frank Mastrangelo, who's the CEO of Yapstone, who visited Drogheda in the middle of July to celebrate their 10th anniversary here and he said here's to another 10 years he expressed his gratitude to the staff to the ITA for the support that they received and now in the space of uh, 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 just over just over a, a month they've decided now uh, to engage in a consultation process all jobs and product are at risk and remarkably what they say as well is that uh, okay well on the one hand they're going to engage in a statutory consultation process, a 30-day process, which they're obliged to do when staff are put on notice. Uh, they also then say, well, um, regardless uh, almost of how that works, our ultimate intention is, and I quote from the letter received um, from uh, by staff yesterday, uh, they say, Yapstone will eventually close its Irish entity and the Irish office. So the sort of Damocles is, is hanging over the heads of the 71 staff, and this is really mm. bad news for them and really bad news for Toronto. Okay, so... Uh, what do you think that means in reality that uh, the jobs uh, will formally go in 30 days time well given the, 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 the it's got a confusing letter in that and I need to remind that remind the organization that however it might work in the US we have laws here um, when it comes to uh, the a proposition to um, make staff redundant it's a 30-day process it's an open process they need to engage meaningfully uh, with their staff and provide them with all the information they need to be able to come up with alternatives to redundancy and they call on the company to work with IDA on alternatives to redundancy because this should not be a fait accompli. Far too often people throw their hands up in the air and say well look that's it. Uh, now um, I can understand why people might assume that because Yapstone have said maybe very clear in their rather confused email in my view to staff and I've seen copies of, of those emails that look they're eventually going to close the Irish entity anyway because it's seems that they have overreached, they've taken on as far as they're concerned, too many staff they were too ambitious in terms of some of the new markets that they have decided to trade in, they thank the staff for the work they've done to allow them to build up the organisation and to do that work to enter new markets, I understand from speaking to one staff member yesterday that the organisation is now an additional, in, a, in an additional 50 markets in terms of the payment platforms that they provide, but unfortunately the um, Irish staff and the staff in the Toronto office looks, uh, to be in a, looks to be paying the price. Um, but I would ask IDA to engage um, fully uh, with the company to try to look at alternatives. I spoke to IDA yesterday afternoon uh, when I heard this news. It was the first phone call that I made uh, and I um, it was very clear, couldn't be any clearer, Michael, to IDA. You have a handful of client IDA companies in this town, a very small handful. And 
the reality is that um, Yopstone are the most recent addition to the small portfolio of IDA companies in the area. They need to be supported. Alternatives need to be looked at. And what our first concern, Michael, is for the staff and their families who look set to lose their mm. employment in Yopstone. Yeah. The, reality, mm. the reality is that when IDA bring client companies to this area, they speak to other client companies. And Yapstone mm. have always said that they have had a good experience in Drogheda and that Drogheda has been good to them and the staff in Drogheda have been good for them. And the reality is when you lose a good IDA client company, that makes things that more difficult in terms of attracting mm. uh, new companies. I mean, Martin Shanahan, the uh, outgoing CEO of IDA, said, and I quote from the statement he made on the 10th anniversary, he said, Yapstone acts as an excellent reference site for companies considering choosing to establish or expand in, in the region. Okay. So, but it, well, I mean, what what is going on here? Is it a case of take the money and run? When you when the IDA bring a, a company to this country, there's all sorts of grants that come into play, and uh, there's an obligation. Uh, to spend up to 10 years. Here we are again, uh, 10 years after establishing it in this country, this com- uh, this company is deciding to pull out. Uh, are the two tied and is the IDA policy flawed for that reason? Well, you know, we've had this conversation in the context of, of, of PayPal as well um, very recently and the significant job losses in, in Dundalk. And I think we were all sceptical about the timing of that um, announcement. Uh, they were here just over 10 years and some employment grants would have um, been exhausted. Um, I think people are sceptical as well about this particular announcement uh, and that uh, given that I don't know the amount of employment grants received uh, by uh, Yapstone but I can find that out and I've put parliamentary questions into the Tanishta in that regard to establish exactly what the position is there but uh, it would be fair to say that people are sceptical uh, in relation to the timing of this um, and there's a real breach of trust here, quite frankly, uh, with local staff. When you send your CEO over and tell them that they're doing a great job and yeah. you appreciate the work they've done to build up the organisation, and then when you make actually actually the point, and I, 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 I'll, I'll read out a phrase that, that's used in the communicate, communicate staff, they said an extensive analysis has formed this decision. Now, you don't do extensive analysis yeah. overnight. You don't do extensive analysis on the future of a company over the space of a month. Yeah. Uh, we can't help but conclude that some senior management, at least uh, on the US side, may have had the Drogheda operation in their sites and their honeyed words uh, that they expressed and articulated on site to staff uh, just a few short weeks ago well mm-hmm. that's not going to pay the bills for staff for staring down the barrel of the gun of, 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 of redundancy. Now I do know that you know local management really have been excellent, I've engaged with them a lot over the last few years and are very committed and this may have been a decision that was taken not locally obviously but in boardrooms in the US and I've no doubt that those who are involved yeah. in the Drogheda operation did their mm-hmm. best to try to protect the interests. Oh of the absolutely yeah and I mean it's dreadful for everybody involved uh, but it's hard not to be cynical uh, about these things uh, and wonder if it's because the grants dried up the cost of business here is uh, so great uh, that it feeds into this decision to uh, base yourself elsewhere and uh, they're taking the money and run Uh, it's one of a, a couple of concerns we have, the ongoing concern then at Premier Perry Glaze and again it seems inevitable that jobs are going to be lost 
Well, there's never any inevitability about this, and I've engaged really intensely in a very hands-on way uh, since uh, early August when the initial announcement was made that the company were considering and contemplating redundancies. I mean, I had three on-site meetings last week. The last of them was when I addressed 20 uh, trade union members down there last, uh, last, last Friday lunchtime to give them an update in terms of my meeting with management and my ongoing engagement with Enterprise Ireland. I'm actually meeting Enterprise Ireland tomorrow, the chief executive, uh, and I've put to them a number of propositions. For example, um, you know, I believe that the state uh, needs to show more of an interest in Premier Pericles because it is always easier to protect a good job than it is to create a new one. And uh, I, I, I have made the proposition to management of the shareholders of the company that, for example, Enterprise Ireland could consider taking an equity stake uh, in Premier Pericles. It is a viable company uh, if it can get through this very difficult uh, gas price challenge, which obviously is a very, very serious challenge and everybody um, accepts that. But I think what's been proposed to date uh, by the state uh, is, 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 dare I say, insufficient and, and, and uh, unfortunately uh, possibly inadequate. Like one of, one of the one of the uh, things that I think should be considered, Michael, is the uh, introduction of um, a wage subsidy scheme targeted at manufacturing companies uh, experiencing the kind of problems that Premier Pericles are experiencing at the moment. Why do I say that? I say that because the EWSS was extremely successful in ensuring support for employers to keep people in employment during the um, crisis that was the uh, pandemic. I've made the point and made the case since early 2020, mm-hmm. actually, what we needed in this country was an embedded German-style short-term scheme where staff would be supported through the state in difficult times for particular sectors to retain their jobs and their businesses would be supported. The reality is that we actually don't have the furlough scheme on the statute books now that the EWSS has been announced. I think that's really yeah. short-sighted of government, and I think a scheme like that. Uh, would be useful uh, for a company like Premier Pericles. It's the kind of support that the unions... We're going to be be facing into the prospect Mm. here, Michael, over the next few months of a lot of manufacturing facilities Mm. that are energy intensive, that use a lot of gas, being on the precipice. Okay, but that that kind of support that you're talking about to support jobs is what the trade unions at Premier Pericles are are calling for. Uh, And there is another area that's been explored that the state would be able to support the company to provide state aid to help pay with uh, the energy bills. Uh, But we heard that uh, despite getting permission to do that in some circumstances, that that money won't be in time in place for Premier Perry Glaze. Uh, Just uh, play a little bit of of what Tom Fitzgerald, uh, the Unite Trade Union official, had to say about that. We were on your show last week, Michael. We were the ones who had done the research and said that the government does a fund here at a European level that can be tapped into. No one had else said that. And we're saying now this week, great, the fund is there. Well, let's find a way to expedite that. Let's find a way to do that. For example, is there something that can be done to support Premier Paraglias in a bridging sense, for example, that actually if the funding can't be drawn down for another month or two because of, you know, genuine bureaucratic difficulties, fair enough, what can we do between then and now? It can't be a case of, well, listen, the, the money will be there down the road, and sure, if the time was right, we'd be able to save the jobs. Um, that's, that's not acceptable. There needs to be something better than that. Okay. Uh, I don't think you'd argue with that yet, Nash. No, uh, and I've spoken directly to um, Thomas Gerald and his counterpart in Connect um, 
uh, Tom Faulkner uh, and to individual you know, shop stewards and, and staff members directly and, and to the company about the kind of bridging arrangements that Enterprise Ireland should be able to provide for companies like Premier Powerglades in situations uh, like this. Unfortunately, we're dealing here with a conservative Department of Enterprise and a conservative government. And I think there are things that the state employment agencies can do, imaginative things that they should be able to do that they're not enabled to do because of restrictions imposed on them by a conservatism that's kind of you know at the centre of government policy in relation to state support. Like mm. the, the, the well, scheme well, that Tom well, well, there's European laws. Well, well, there's an exemption there from state aid to provide resources to companies in situations where you know gas prices are out of control and where they are seriously impacting on their operations. That, that, that permission is that was signed off on the eleventh of August and mm. the scheme is not in place. But that's the point. Yes. Explained to me mm. this is going to take a number of weeks mm. and that's why there needs that's to be the point. A bridging arrangements mm. uh, to mm. allow Premier Pericles to apply mm. for that fund. That's a two hundred million euro fund and remember and just a matter of public record, mm. uh, the company have said themselves that they are in a position where they may lose up to five million euro in terms of additional energy costs between now and the end of the year. That is very, very difficult to sustain and actually nobody doubts the sincerity of the company in that regard. We have seen a huge spike in gas prices even since they exited uh, examinership and everybody's clear on where the challenge is. The question now is what is the state going to do to support a viable business and draw it that actually plans to grow and actually has the support and the investment that's going to allow it to transition from um, a reliance on gas. You'll be meeting with Enterprise Ireland tomorrow. Uh, and, uh, I'm and meeting Enterprise Ireland tomorrow and, and I, Enterprise Ireland, I know, are, are working hard to try and find solutions with the company. I've asked Enterprise Ireland as well to meet with the trade unions. I think the unions have been extremely constructive in terms of trying to propose you know, alternatives to redundancy. And, okay. you know, they're working very closely with the company and myself and others to try to um, you know, create a positive horizon for the organisation, which I believe can continue to work and can very continue good. to grow okay. and evolve and draw it. But it needs state support and a state needs to be more imaginative than it has shown itself to be to date. Okay, we leave it there. Thank you indeed. Uh, Jed Nash, Labour Party TD for Louth and Eastmeath. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, uh, Mary in Trim in touch with us. Thanks uh, for your text, Mary. She says, not only should Robert Troy go, but the two leaders, that's Michal Martin and Leo Radker, should go, knowing it was wrong to face people with it was wrong to uh, go face to face with uh, the people of uh, the country on television saying he did no wrong. How many times have we heard all of this before says uh, Mary in Trim. Thank you uh, Mary for that. Uh, I think uh, there'll be some questions for the leader, certainly from the opposition, as Adam Higgins uh, was saying, but there certainly seems to have been some discontent, if not a, a lot of discontent within Fianna Fáil uh, about uh, that story because uh, it rambled on for so long, but also uh, because of the nature of the story that it had to uh, relate uh, to housing, uh, which is the last kind of bad press that Fianna Fáil want uh, uh, scandals of that sort. Uh, and, and Robert Troy says he, he didn't do anything wrong. Uh, but I think it probably can be defined as a, a scandal, given that it was front page uh, and there was a lot of explaining. And they say that when you're explaining, you're losing and so on. And it, it does seem that at the end of the day, Robert Troy did lose as he's resigned. Whether he decided to do that himself or whether he was pushed, he's gone. Uh, and that seems to be the end of his time in office. Now, uh, Margaret uh, is WhatsApping the programme today and she wonders if Meath County Council has gone mad uh, using all of their funding before the end of the year. Navintown is in a heap. 
hard to get up or down. Uh, the main slain to Navin Road is closed. Uh, and she says, I wouldn't like to be in an ambulance if you had to go to Drogheda uh, using the detour that's in place. Well, I suppose some works are essential. Uh, I think I've heard a few people ask, why are there always works that are essential on the Slane to Drogheda Road? Uh, because it seems as though uh, when they finish the work on that road, it's time to start uh, on a, another set of works. It's a road that's been closed many times over. Uh, a text to us uh, from Margaret, uh, who is in Drogheda and she says, uh, I've been doing business in the town uh, for some time and uh, I do advertise with local media uh, and I, I have often felt it very unfair to see posters being placed around the place for the likes of uh, the circus that your caller was complaining uh, about earlier on in uh, the programme. Uh, well done to them for highlighting the issue. I hope Lyoth County Council takes note. Uh, and as your caller said, uh, sh- should there be one rule for all or uh, are people being treated differently because they're in the circus? Uh, maybe the council is a bit of a, a circus uh, and maybe the rules are a, 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 a bit of a, a joke uh, and maybe we're being made clowns of. Uh, but one rule for all, please. Uh, and if the circus is allowed to advertise free of charge like that in such prominent parts of the town... Why can't we all do it? And why should we be spending money on advertising? It's an interesting point. Uh, Another text that comes to us uh, from John, who's in Dundalk, and he says when it comes uh, to Robert Troy, his resignation uh, may have seemed inevitable to most people, but not those uh, who could have influenced whether he was to stay in office or not, who could have convinced him to submit his resignation or told him to go. Why is it that the party leaders defended the indefensible as robustly as they did? Why is it that so many questions are being asked publicly uh, about somebody who holds public office, a Minister of State, for crying out loud, have we not got more important things to be doing rather than worrying about whether somebody who makes the rules in this country is obeying the rules that we're all supposed to live by. Why is it that this sort of scandal can take away from some of the pressing needs in the country? We're being told that the lights may not be able to be kept on over the winter and here we are talking about an individual and his behaviour. Why does that behaviour take precedence over the important jobs that government should be doing? Why did they allow it to be a distraction for so long and why did they not apologise themselves uh, for not seeing the writing on the wall before Eamon Ryan came out to speak uh, about having this individual investigated in the way that he, he did yesterday? Well, thanks, uh, John, for that uh, and indeed uh, for your call to the programme. Uh, we'd uh, Deirdre, who is in RD, in touch with us as well, saying, good to see the bishops coming out and talking in a, a united voice in the first place. Uh, apart from what it is they're saying, it's great to see all denominations represented in that group of church leaders and how they are recognising how people, ordinary people are finding it hard to make ends meet It was a pleasure to hear Bishop Andrew Forster on the programme this morning speaking on behalf of ordinary working people and the problems that they're facing in their daily lives finding it hard to turn on the heat and the lights and that sort of thing and well done to the churches for that uh, on the other hand, uh, we had a call from 
David, uh, who's in Ashburn, he says it's a bit rich for church leaders to be worrying about the poor, given how wealthy the church is and all of its wealth, uh, which has been denied to people over the years. Could they not share some of their wealth instead of asking ordinary, hardworking people to look after the poor? Or could they not ask the uh, wasters on the dole to get out and get a, a job if they want to turn on their lights or if they expect to be able to feed their children? They have their own responsibilities. There's plenty of work in the country. Could they not do something about it? Well, thank you indeed for that. Thanks to everybody who's been in touch with us so far today. Michael Reed on LMFM. Somebody texting asking, will Robert Troy be entitled to, to his pension? Yes, of course he'll be entitled to his pension. Why wouldn't he be entitled to his pension? Uh, he's uh, served in office uh, since becoming a, a junior minister, so that will be added to the pension that he's currently working on because he holds a seat. Uh, there's no question of him resigning as a, a TD. He's resigned as a, a minister of state, so he continues as a, a TD. Uh, for Longford Westmeath uh, and uh, will continue uh, to work up the pension that he'll be entitled to in, in later years as well as uh, the top up that he'll get uh, as a result of being uh, Minister of State. Rose uh, in touch with us saying she agrees with Mary Lou that it doesn't reflect well on the Taoiseach or the Taunishta's judgment that they defended Robert Troy so vigorously. He should have been sacked, she says, and immediately so, not two weeks ago when this uh, first came to light. Thanks. Everybody's uh, very uh, heated up today. Uh, And uh, Tommy uh, has been uh, in touch with us. He says he agrees with the comment that somebody made earlier on that people have little to complain about. Uh, If they're complaining about circus posters... Uh, they've little to complain about. He says, we've become a nation of complainers and begrudgers and it's unsightly. God, maybe we have, Tommy. <laughs> maybe we have. Uh, maybe we take pleasure in it, though. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Uh, but thank you indeed uh, to everyone who's been in touch with us today. Now, Meath County Council uh, published yesterday its Slain Public Realm plan. Let's hear from local councillor Wayne Harding. A very good morning to you uh, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us uh, on the programme uh, this morning. This gives a, a, an insight uh, into how Meath County Council uh, uh, how, uh, the vision that it has for Slane Village over the coming year. Yeah, um, we've been working on this now for a number of years and there has been fantastic public consultation which we really very much welcome. Um, and the vision is that there's three main things. Um, the the um, Obviously, there's there's two aspects to it. The, the um, public realm with uh, the Slane bypass or the public realm without, and very much of it hinges on the success of the application which we talked about uh, recently in relation to safety in Slane Village. But it also would have a massive impact in how uh, the visual impact of the village, which is a stunning heritage village, and its its access to the River Boyne and yeah. the Greenway, Wayne, that would be um, replaced by by a really really stunning cycle and and pedestrian walkway. Wayne, Wayne, the, sorry to cut across you. Uh, the line is really deplorable. I think we're going to have to try and get you on a, a separate line uh, if that's possible at all. But uh, very difficult. Uh, to hear what's being said uh, because of uh, the fuzz or the buzz uh, that's uh, on the line. Uh, So we'll hang up. Uh, Apologies for that. 
uh, and we'll try and come back to Wayne Harding in the next uh, few moments uh, but uh, this is a, a plan that the council has put in place with a group of planning consultants and it sets out the future approach to the streets and spaces of Slane Village. Uh, it includes uh, an understating of the existing influencing factors facing the village, a series of objectives, they say, uh, as well as proposed interventions informed by consultation with stakeholders that are set out to achieve the vision for Slane. Uh, and uh, it is a kind of a transformation of the village. Uh, and uh, actually, we have Wayne Harding back on the line who'll uh, probably be able to explain it better to you than I can. Uh, but it, it does set out this vision, uh, 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 the future for Slane. Uh, and uh, would you say an improved, better village? Oh, it's a game changer, really, because it has such wonderful aspects to it. The the realignment of the the village square, uh, a village garden, and the the approach the the entrance route from Slane Bridge to the village centre is is so key to everything because. Um, there is a proposed by by Greenway the extension of it from Drogheda to to Navan, and then you would you would come to what is stunning uh, scenery around Slane Bridge, and access the village um, instead, which is clearly stated in the in the. Uh, Public realm plan. Uh, the, rather than the carriageway that is there now, it would be cycle and pedestrian to come off the greenway into the village. It really is a game changer and and uh, a huge amount of work to be done uh, uh, going forward. But the plan is is. And and you mentioned public consultation and stakeholders. There was a huge input from the community into it, and and that's welcome as well. And and it's there now. The implementation is the next steps, of course, but it it is a game changer for the village. Okay, talk us through some of uh, the changes because there are some significant changes. Yes, the the uh, widening of footpaths. Um, raised tables around the square, um, better uh, pedestrian crossing. It's it's very difficult to navigate the square in Slane Village because of the two incredibly um, busy uh, routes through it, the N2 and the N51. Um, so the square would, would completely change. Um, and, of course, a huge amount of planting and vegetation, um, the narrowing of the carriageways and the increasing of the footpaths uh, and... and um, the, the taking away of street clutter, as would be a, 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 an ambition of every public, public realm plan. Mm. And then a village, there is a village garden in place, which was in consultation with Mead County Council and the same tidy towns. It's, it's a beautiful, beautiful space. But the ambition of this plan is to extend that space. And of course, these we're talking about things that are on private lands, and 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 there has there has been. Uh, um, constant uh, input from stakeholders but going forward the implementation has to be in, in conjunction with all stakeholders because much of not much but uh, many many aspects of the plan are in relation to private lands and that has to be taken into consideration as it's as it's implemented Okay, uh, you said uh, this is the ambition of uh, the plan. I think you used the word uh, ambition a, a couple of times, uh, and ambition is all <laughs> well and good. Uh, but what does that mean in, in reality? W- will this plan be implemented, and is there the funding in place for it? Yeah, there's a number of uh, different uh, funding streams, and primarily, and and a lot hinges on this. Primarily, there are aspects of the plan that are linked 
to the application for the slain bypass. Those those aspects of the plan, for instance, a footpath from the village centre uh, to uh, along the along the N52 east. Uh, towards Drogheda, which would link uh, the Francis Ledwidge Museum to the village by pedestrian footpath. And uh, that would be implemented as part of the, the bypass scheme. But then there are many different uh, village and uh, uh, village renewal uh, funding um, throughout the country that can be applied for as according as, as, as the, the funds are needed. And yes, of course, funding is everything. And these plans are, 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 are about funding. They are there. They are there nationally. And as according as you get something moving, um, the more the funding can, can come into the village. Okay. Uh, and uh, what does that mean in terms of uh, realising this? Uh, when do you expect to see these changes? Well, it, they, again, they, they, it hinges greatly on the, on the bypass application. That will, as I talked to you before, that will go in before October. That's an 18-month plan. Uh, that's an 18 month for a decision on it. Look, it, you're ta- it, it is in the plan that it mm. will be five years, and I would say five to seven, before you see some of the of the really good initiatives uh, mm. being put in place. Okay, it, it is exciting though, isn't it? Uh, I take it uh, people can, because ha- I'm looking at it here, and uh, the council sent it on, I take it uh, people can see it in the paper and they can see it on Meat Country Council's website. That's correct, um, and it, and it is it is uh, completed now after about three year process. And one of the key things, uh, one of the sentences that I would leave you with, maybe on um, Michael, is that it could it could make Slane a, a tourist destination hub along the Bine Greenway, and I think that's what this is uh, this is all about. Yeah, well, it really does look fantastic and very very exciting. Uh, and in time, it will be realised, or at least uh, I take it that's everybody's hope in Slane this morning. Thanks a day. Uh, for joining us with that. That's Wayne Harding, local Fianna Fáil councillor. Now, let me bring you some more of uh, the comments coming to us. Jack in, in touch with us uh, about uh, the circus posters. Jack uh, in touch with us earlier on saying people have little to give out uh, about. He says, could you get somebody on to explain uh, the poster law? As far as I know, you can put up a poster for an upcoming event uh, as long as the poster is removed after the event, like a, a festival uh, and uh, events like that. Uh, well, we have asked Ca- Louth County Council, Jack, uh, for a statement on it following on from uh, the email. Uh, we sent that on to them and asked them to respond to it. We haven't heard back from the council, which I think is probably unfortunate uh, this morning. Uh, but uh, it's certainly a case, uh, as the point was made earlier on, that if you put posters up on lampposts during an election you better have them down after the event uh, or else you'll be fined uh, and maybe that's uh, the point uh, that you're making uh, somebody else uh, in touch with us saying why don't all of the TDs give their houses up for the Ukrainians and then we wouldn't need hotels and army camps <clears throat> Uh, to to uh, give them some refuge. Uh, it's a, an interesting point. Uh, uh, as Robert Troy said, uh, there's nothing wrong with being a, a landlord. And I suppose if we didn't have landlords, uh, ordinary people wouldn't have anywhere to rent for that matter. Uh, Liam in touch with us uh, saying Robert Troy still owes us a full explanation. He should make it in the Doyle. And he looks forward to seeing the deputy face questions from the opposition. There's still much to be discussed on this topic and it's far from over as far as Liam is concerned 
for Deputy Troy. Mark in touch with us as well about Robert Troy's position. Um, he thinks that Michal Martin and Leo Varadkar owe the public an apology for their staunch support of Robert Troy. They were trying to defend the indefensible and the people will not forget that. His actions tarnished the position that he held and it was only right that he stood down. There's uh, certainly a lot of strong feeling uh, about Robert Troy. Uh, I see one of uh, the papers uh, this morning describing him as this year's Catherine Sabone. Uh, you'll remember last summer and, you know, it's known in the media as silly season and I've heard the point made uh, that if you're in trouble during the silly season, during the summer months, uh, then you're in real trouble because the media will zone in on you and focus on you uh, and perhaps to some degree that has uh, been part of the sword, maybe the handle of the sword that Robert Troy fell on, but he certainly has fallen on his sword and is now history in terms of his position as a minister in the Department of Enterprise. Anyway, that's all we have time for for today. That's our programme and God willing we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning, bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie LMFM Podcasts. With CNC Carpets, we bring the showroom to you. Or book a new showroom appointment on 087 660 4237. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.